Everybody, welcome to another episode of I'ma Tell Like a TIS podcast. Last one of the 2019 year, and last one for the decade, even though we have we haven't been on that long. Uh, hope you guys had a nice uh, Christmas and Hanukkah holiday. It's yours truly, Josh Shields, back with another episode here on your favorite little sports talk podcast. We got a jam-packed, busy show for you today. Recap Week 17 in the National Football League, including the firings that and hirings that's going on uh, since uh, we last chatted. Uh, break me and my brother Ian will join me next segment, and we'll talk about who, what our top 10 sports moments of the decade are. I recap the college football playoff, including former, fingers crossed, Lord willing, hitch your knees and pray, former, or excuse me, not former, good God, I'm jinxing it already. Future Bengal Nick Burrow threw for like eight, was threw for seven touchdowns and ran for one. Had a was responsible for a combined eight touchdowns and an absolute embarrassment on the part of Oklahoma, but an absolute steamrolling over Oklahoma in the Georgia, in the uh, not the Georgia Dome, in the Peach Bowl in the Mercedes-Benz Stadium in Atlanta. I'll give my thoughts on that. I also give you my thoughts on why in the world Brett Favre is you know considered a quote unquote tenth greatest one of the tenth one of the top ten greatest quarterbacks in the in the hundred season ninety nine going on a hundred year history of the National Football League how he's on that list and Bart Starr is not I mean that 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 is a joke but I'll give you my thoughts on that uh, later on in the program uh, but first uh, let's recap Week Seventeen in the National. Uh, football league as far as that is concerned uh really there wasn't there wasn't a lot uh at stake really outside of uh who was going to play where in as far as the NFC was concerned and the and there was no drama with the 6 seed because the Steelers were getting beaten pretty handily by RG3 for of all players for crying out loud was getting beat by them and then Houston was getting steamrolled by the Titans so I mean that so the Steelers so then and the most drama really occurred was in the one o'clock window when the New England Patriots of all teams that you got that right the evil empire themselves the New England Patriots somehow some way let uh Ryan Fitzpatrick become Fitzmagic and go down the field on a two-minute drill and score a touchdown late in the ball game forcing the Patriots to do what they haven't done us since the end of the last decade, 10 years ago in 2009, which is uh, hosting a home uh, playoff game in Wild Card Weekend, which the last time they did that, they got blown, they got the beats, they got the brakes beaten off of them by uh, Ray Rice, Joe Flacco and company in the 2009 AFC Wild Card game. Uh, back 10 years ago. So, you know, and this is the first time, which will end up being the last time of this 2010s decade where the Patriots uh, have had have to play on at home on Wild Card Weekend. And that was because they 
lost to the Dolphins, and the Kansas City Chiefs beat the Chargers 31-21 in their game. Both teams finished 12-4, but the Chiefs beat the Patriots head-to-head, so they ended up and with the Patriots' loss, which heading into today seemed near impossible because he, how has Bill Belichick and the Patriots I mean if the game was in Miami that's one thing you know where the Patriots along the last couple of years have proved have shown some vulnerability against the Miami Dolphins in uh in Miami but the games in Foxborough it's a warm weather team playing in a cold weather climate and there's something on the line this should be this game should be in the bag for Bill Belichick and the Patriots but uh it turned out not to be and now the Chiefs have number two seed in the AFC, uh, and it, it being the second year in a row where the Chiefs have one of the top two seeds in the AFC playoffs, them being the first seed last year, and this year being the number two seed with the with the uh, Baltimore Ravens being the number one seed uh, this year. Speaking of the Baltimore Ravens, they took care of business against the um, against the Pittsburgh Steelers in a monsoon. Uh, beating the Steelers, who end out the decade going eight and eight, missing the playoffs for the second straight season in a row. Uh, but, but it, but the you know the the reason why, was why the Steelers missed the playoffs this year, obviously, is because they have no talent. Is because they is because they have no Antonio Brown, no Le'Veon Bell, no Ben Roethlisberger. Last year it was more of an epic collapse of them playing down to their competition and squandering opportunities against inferior teams like the Raiders and the Broncos and you know teams and and blowing a double digit lead to the Chargers on that Sunday night game, letting the Chargers and Phil Burris have a second half comeback and them coming back to win it. But in this set of circumstances, it was injury and just lack of offensive talent was the reason why the Steelers missed the playoffs this year. No one really, I didn't expect them to go 8-8. Eight and eight. I mean, I had them. Let's see, let's see where I had the Steelers, if I can pull this up. I had, I mean, well, actually, I did. I predicted the Steelers going 8-8, eight and eight, missing the playoffs. So, hooray. So, uh, you know, hip, hip, hooray for me. Good job on my part. And I got the pick with the Steelers going eight and eight and missing the playoffs. Pick I didn't get. Pick I got wrong, but I'm glad I got wrong. Was the fact that I predicted the uh, Cleveland Browns, who have been an absolute utter disgrace and a disappointment uh, to, in the 2019 season, to say the least. Boy, the boy have they spit the bed this season. Going six and ten, they actually have their record. They actually had a worse record this year than they did last year. Granted, they had a tie last year. They didn't plan to have any ties this year. But six and ten with Baker Mayfield, Jarvis Landry, uh, Odell Beckham Jr., and then they had Kareem Hunt. Granted, he was suspended for half a season, but you got Hunt and Nick Chubb sitting there in the backfield. And the best you guys can come up with and muster up with in a weak AFC in a weak AFC in general in a weak AFC North is six and ten. I mean that 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 is that's tough to take. And that and this and oh that that is such a pitiful job by the Cleveland Browns. It, it is mind boggling. I mean, how in the world with all that hype that I heard in July and August and early September, the Browns are back. The Browns are back. The Browns are here. The Browns are here. The Browns are easily a playoff contender, and easily they are a division ten. You know, they're they're the contender to win the division. Blah 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 blah. And 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 you know what? The first sign, the first sign that the season was going to go south on Cleveland was when they absolutely embarrassed. Embarrass themselves, embarrass themselves 
at home against the Tennessee Titans, losing by the final score of 43-13. to Got the brakes beaten off of him. Lost by 30 points. That should have been the first sign right there for all the other nincompoops. Now, I'm in a way, I, I bought into it, but I didn't you know, to a certain extent, you know? I mean, I mean when a week, in a week AFC, what do you think? I'm, you know, what do you think? I, the Jets, the you know, I, no one thought the Bills were going to turn, was going to turn over, the, you know, were going to all of a sudden be one of the, you know, give the Patriots a run for their money in the a, in the AFC East. You know, I mean, the Steelers, no one expected them to do anything. You know, tight. So you got you got to be fair, but I did predict them to go nine and seven and to get the second wild card spot. But when but when you figure that they have a that they actually have a franchise quarterback who you can build upon and Baker Mayfield who's a Heisman Trophy winner and wants to tell everyone he's this he's that and the other and carries himself like he's the second coming of Otto Graham and when you have him Jarvis Landry who's an up and coming receiver Nick Chubb and Kareem Hunt who who at least Kareem Hunt a few years ago was one of the top of running backs in all of football. Nick Chubb's not a bad talent either. And then you got Oda Beckham Jr., who's an explosive uh, weapon at wide receiver, pal- piling up with his uh, with his buddy Jarvis Landry. I mean, you would think, you would think, you would think that you could at least muster up 8-8, eight and 9-7, eight, and 10-6 and six at best. But 6-10 and ten is an utter disgrace, an utter joke. And every single one of those Cleveland, every single one of the people that dons Orange and brown should be ashamed of themselves. From Haslam to uh, to the GM Dorsey that got kicked out earlier today. To Freddie Kitchens who got kicked out before Sunday was over with. You know, and he got the pick slip. Uh, who knows if Cleveland even let him aboard the team plane or the team bus back to Cleveland from Cincinnati. But... He gone, but even but those two, even though even though they got axed, but still, I don't even really put the blame on Dorsey because Dorsey actually gave Cleveland one of the best looking rosters in quite a long time. I blame the head coach Freddie Kitchens, which was a terrible hire when they hired him back last off season. He was in over his head. He didn't know what the heck was going on. He did, he didn't have a he didn't have a single clue. Didn't have a single clue what he was doing. Didn't look like he belonged being a head coach in an NFL franchise. I mean, with the T-shirt, with the Garrett, Pittsburgh started. Oh, the guy was a complete mess and a complete abomination. Oh, oh, oh my God. Cle- Baker Mayfield, I woke up feeling dangerous. All right, Baker? Well, how, how's this is dangerous? 20, 12 for 27, 279 passing yards, three touchdowns, and three interceptions. I mean, were you trying to, were you trying to do your best... Uh, uh, do your best Jameis Winston in person, you know, do your best Jameis Winston impression with this game. Even and out your touchdowns for interceptions. I mean, woke up feeling da- woke up feeling dangerous, my ass. Baker I mean Baker Mayfield stunk stunk up the joint in two thousand and nineteen. Spit it up. 
After, after he was sitting up here mumble, you know, bumping his gums, saying this, that, and the other, I'm gonna do this, I'm gonna do that, and yada 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 yada. Yeah, he go, yeah, he turns around this season, full sixteen games he plays. He sits up here, completes fifty nine percent of his passes, throws for three hot three thousand eight hundred twenty seven yards, which nobody gives a crap about because because all the top five players in the National Football League that led the league in passing yards aren't in the playoffs, so that stat is a crap shoot nonetheless. And he threw twenty. 22 touchdowns for 21 interceptions. I mean, we we give we give Jameis Winston a lot a lot of grief for him for him matching his touch for every touchdown he throws he throws a pick six right behind it. Well, Baker Mayfield is about what eight or nine touchdown interceptions away from doing the same thing. I mean, Jay Wiz. And this is the guy that that went on and on and on, puffing out his chest, walking around like he like he was like he was a Mr. Hotshot, you know, thinking he's the second coming of Otto Graham or Bernie Kosar. And he sits around, he turns around, and his first full NFL season, him starting, he he spits and vomits all over himself, and it served him right, served him right. Him jawing and going back and forth with reporters and 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 and, and him just being just being a you know being a complete donkey about the about the Hugh Jackson scenario with because God forbid Hugh Jackson takes a job with with uh, you know with his old employer who he has a good rapport with and his buddy Marvin Lewis. God forbid he takes that, especially considering the year he, even though he's a crappy head coach, but given the year he's had where he lost, I think it was his mother and his bro- his mother and his brother died, I think within a, a few weeks time or something. Yet, yet Baker Mayfield, you know, who's wet behind the ears, Beth smelling like Similac as far as his NFL experience is concerned. And he feels compelled to give his thoughts on a huge action. Serves them right. Serves them right. Maybe I'll teach Beck Mayfield next time to instead of him worrying about bumping his gums and him giving a hot take, you know, tr- you know trying to say something that's going to make headlines of USA Today or or you know Sports Illustrated or him getting into getting into asinine beefs with Colin Cowherd, who, who every single time he Baker Mayfield throws a hissy fit, all he does is just prove Colin Cowherd right and people like me and Colin who you know who love making fun of making fun of and criticizing this fool just just gives us just gives us more ammo. He goes out here and talks and does this and does that and then goes out on a football field and, and is practically a white Jameis Winston. For every touchdown pass he throws, he has an interception, he has an interception or a fumble or a, a turnover to match it. So it served them right. Maybe, maybe he'll learn next time to, to be humble and to keep his mouth shut and worry about playing the games. You know, I, I give Tom Brady a lot of credit. Now I'm on him, but I get, but I give him some credit. You don't see Brady seeing people, you know, walking around running his mouth. And if there's an occasion where Brady may talk a little bit, it's few and far in between. And you know what? Tom Brady's earned it. He was a sick, he was a sixth round draft pick out of Michigan. Barely played. In his, you know, in his college career at Michigan, sixth round draft pick, 
gone on to win six Super Bowls, racked up a couple of MVP awards, and is a lock, a first ballot lock for the Hall of Fame when he hangs it up. And he's dubbed the greatest quarterback in the 100 season, 99 going on 100-year history of the National Football League. Baker Mayfield's been in the league two years and has been awful. You know what Tom Brady did in his second year? He won the Super Bowl. Switching gears. Uh, Rams close out the Coliseum 9-7, and seven, uh, which I predicted them to go 9-7, and seven, even though I predicted them to get a wild card seed. But, seed, but I, didn't, I didn't expect back in late August that the NFC would be as highly competitive as it was this year. But I did get the Rams 9-7 and seven right. I had them making the playoffs. They didn't because of how competitive the NFC, the NFC was, particularly within the Rams' own division. Uh, you know, they went nine and seven to miss the playoffs. Seahawks went eleven and well, I think went eleven and five, and then the uh, 49ers, twelve and four, got the number one seed. But the Rams closed out their tenure in the Coliseum, uh, beating the Cardinals 31-24. Raider Oakland Raiders are no longer. They are now the Las Vegas Raiders. They lost to the Broncos 16-15. Eagles clinched the East by absolutely destroying the Giants 34-17. The Washington, the Dallas Cowboys uh, steamrolled the Washington Redskins, but it, it was to no avail because they needed the the Giants to win to have a hope of winning the division. They, I mean, that, that did them in. That did them in. That I tell you, that did them in losing to the Eagles, and I told and I told you guys, and I told you guys this when we were, when I was on with Brendan uh, last time we last time I was on. The down, what happened? The game I told you the game was going to be tight late, tight late, and Jason Garrett was going to have to make some head some head coaching decisions. That was that you know that was going to prove his moxie and prove his worth as an NFL head coach. And I told you it's going to get down the stretch. Garrett's going to be tight and he's going to do some asinine. It's going to cost the Dallas Cowboys the game. Well, I thought it was going to be a play call, but instead it turned out not having Ezekiel Elliott in on that fourth and one, whatever it was, late in the ball game, and taking out Amari Cooper, and instead thinking that. Uh, Tavon Austin, essentially, it's the second coming of uh, Drew Pearson, uh, Michael Irvin. It does pick pick your cowboy wide receiver. Doesn't make a difference to me, but takes but takes out um, uh, Amari Cooper, who you know is from Skip Bayless and Jerry Jones. Everyone thinks it's the second coming of uh, of Drew Pearson. Takes him out the game late and instead puts out Tavon Austin. I mean, really now. And then a third, third, fourth, and short late in the ball game, you got your power back that you just spent a fortune on back that Jerry just spent a fortune on for the season started, and he's sitting there on the sideline. I mean, really? I mean, I, I can get on the athlete a little bit for kind of not protesting and quote unquote taking themselves out of the game, but he's but he's the head coach. He needs to make sure that the star players, especially the ones that are either making money or going to have their hand out for big time money, are in the game. In situations like this, when when the division title and and a playoff spot is on the line, but I told you guys about Jason Garrett. Can't trust him. Can't trust him. Uh, 
I'll t- I'll take Doug Peterson any day over Jason Garrett. Any day. Uh, let's see. Uh, Saints took care of business against the Panthers, 42-10. to uh, They get the third seed in the NFC. Packers beat the Lions barely, 23-20, to uh, and finished out the season 13-3. and I, t- I told you guys, I know that they're 13-3, and but this does not look like a very strong Packer team that looks like they can make a deep... Uh, playoff push down the stretch to compete for Super Bowl because the fact that they but because the fact that the Detroit Lions who are down many of players and are playing without Matt Stafford for for them to quote for them to be play tight and to be quote unquote in the ball game with the Detroit Lions in a game that they have to win if they want if they want to get one of the top spots in the NFC is is a little ridiculous. I mean, I know. I mean, they, I think uh, they're the number two seed. They, they, yeah, yeah, no, they, they are not by. I, and I don't, I don't care about what the seeding says. The Green Bay Packers are not the second best team in the NFC. You know who is? New Orleans Saints. But they are the three seed. Why, you may ask. Well, because late in the ball game between the 49ers and the Seahawks, that was the Sunday night game, the last NFL game of the year, last NFL game of the 2010s decade, the game that decided the NFC West championship and decided whether the Seahawks and the 49ers were either going to, in a 49ers case, have a uh, clinch, the, clinch the one seed and uh, first round bye and you know home playoff game and all that stuff. Or they go to Seattle, or excuse me, they go to Philadelphia and play the Eagles, or the Seahawks go to Philadelphia and play the Eagles, or have a home playoff game and they play wild card weekend against the Minnesota Vikings. And but heading heading into Sunday, these two teams could have had a shot at the number one seed. The Seahawks needed to get the one seed if the Saints and the Packers would have lost on Sunday, or the Seahawks could have gotten the second seed had, I believe, the Packers lost to the Lions on Sunday. So, the fact that the Seahawks and the, uh, but, excuse me, the fact that the Saints and the Packers won, on top of the fact that the Seahawks spit the bed against the Cardinals in Week 16 and lost to the Rams a few weeks prior, totally knocked Seattle out of any contention to get uh, one of the top two seeds in the NFC. So they were playing essentially for the division title, sweep the title the title of division champions, sweeping the 49ers and a home playoff game the next week against Kirk Cousins and the Vikings one more time. Instead, they lost the game 26-21. They have to go back, they have to fly cross-country east to play the Eagles in Philadelphia another uh, for a third time, or excuse me, for a second time this season. And the 49ers win the division, clinch home field throughout the NFC. Don't have to play until don't have to play until Saturday, uh, January. I believe it's a Saturday. Let me check. Uh, until Saturday, December. Or excuse me. Uh, here it is. Until Saturday, January the 11th, which is a 4:30 game, and and NBC. We'll have that game, and the way it's looking, I mean, and most people ex- would expect uh, C- Seattle to beat 
of the Eagles, even though you never know, and both of these teams are riddled with injuries. I mean, they might as well call this the injury bowl because both of these teams have been just slaughtered left and right with injuries to the big-time players in the, in their skill positions. But, you know, it, it, it looks like that NBC could get uh, 49ers and Seahawks for the second time in four weeks if the Seahawks take care of business and beat the Eagles and... I'm sorry, but the fort, but the Vikings don't have a standing prayer against Drew Brees and the Saints on uh on wild card on uh, wild card Sunday. That game will be an utter bloodbath. The Vikings do they they I tell you they would add better luck going against Seattle because they because even though the even though the Saints are the quote unquote three seed, they're not the third best team in the NFC. They're the second best team. In the NFC, and you can make the argument that they should have been the ones deserving of the bye instead of Green Bay, because, because, because the Saints are are not a weak three seed by any any circumstances, and the Vikings in that building, which will be rocking in New Orleans, the Vikings don't stand a chance. So NBC could be looking at Seahawks and Forty ers for the second time in four weeks. Depending on what happens on Wild Card Weekend, but the Forty ers and Seahawks, uh, one of the both of these teams gave us the top gave us the easily one of the both both teams gave us easily the the uh, top two uh, games of the year with the Monday night matchup in Week Ten that went to the buzzer in overtime, and then of course Sunday night, uh, you know f- with the division up for grabs on uh, Sunday Night Football. But the 49ers won 26-21. And this game really was about... This game really was about George Kittle coming through uh, in big-time situations for the 49ers. It was about the Seahawks not getting a lick of pass rush. A lick of pass rush on... uh, On... um, They got... got whole, Whole game, they got two sacks on Garoppolo. Two. Go back. I re I rewatched uh the week ten game uh la- you know the previous day on last night. Jadavion Clowney was in Garoppolo's face the entire game. In his face, week ten. Week seventeen, nowhere I mean Joe Staley, I think is what his name is, left tackle. Staley. Stanley. He Stanley with thank thank you. Uh, Joe Stanley, Staley, whatever his name is, had he had Jadavion Clowney locked up the entire night. You, you want me to read Clowney's stats? One tackle. That's it. One tackle. One. One tackle. No sacks. No hurt. No nothing. He had Clowney neutralized, silent, non-existent on Sunday night. Week 10 in San Francisco, Santa Clara. Clowney was in Garoppolo's face all night. Sunday night, he, he couldn't touch him. So give credit to uh, the, to the San Francisco offensive line for that because the Seattle pass rush couldn't, couldn't breathe on Jimmy Garoppolo the entire night. In week 10, they, were, they gave Garoppolo fits. And the offense, and the offense decided to wake up in the second half of you know in the second half because they were as dead as a doornail in the first half, only mustering up one touchdown. Were as were dead as a doornail, dead. 
They were down 13 nothing at half. They were the offense was dead. Dead. And they woke up in the second half and, and made it a ball game. Dead. Dead. And the and the 49 defense on that last drive couldn't stop Metcalf. Metcalf was Metcalf was making every every big time catch on you know on on third and long, second and long when when Wilson needed a play to get him to you know help him march down the field and needed and needed a play you know to keep the drive alive. DK Metcalf was right there every single time. It was he destroyed the 49ers secondary on that last drive. Destroyed him. Destroyed him. But the, but the, they had a decent drive. The, the part the part where the Seahawks messed up was is that they convert on the you know they convert on the uh, on the fourth down. Uh, they you get at like at the at the one yard line, and I think that the offensive lineman Fant, whatever his name is, you know he was hurt, he was hobbling or whatever. He either did, either should have gotten his teammates' efficient of uh, attention or the officials' attention or something, because he's sitting there hobbling. Meanwhile, Seattle has to get up to the line, hurry up and spike it, so, you know, so they can, you know, so they can have a chance. They bring in Beast Mode, and Beast Mode just takes two steps and walks into the into the end zone. But it can't, because for whatever the reason, Fant wasn't a you know didn't let anyone. Uh, um, it was misc. They didn't have the plays ready to begin with. Which is what was one reason why they got through the late game, and then Fan had no idea what to do either. He whether to let Carol know, an official know, his teammates, somebody. He they, all the entire Seahawks offense was there in the headlights. Didn't know, didn't know what they were doing. Didn't have the play calls ready. Weren't lined up right. Fant still hobbling with, with his leg. All, they were all over the place. And you can make the arguments one reasons why they lost the game because they're sitting there right there, one yard line, Marshall Lynch in the back, you know, ready to come in. Delay a game, it ruins the whole flow of the drive, and and that was heinous ref ball, and that should have been defensive pass interference on the defender on uh, on Hollister. And Rich Sherman should have been giving crap. Well, he initiates contact. Okay, Sherman. All right, fine. He his he meet he he meets him in the end zone. But it's not like that Hollister is holding on to the 49er defender the entire way. He makes instant contact with him. And as soon as he's trying to get away from him, the 49ers defender, it's, it's like in the Cardinal, it's not Cardinal, it's like in the Cowboy Lion game back in 2014. The linebacker sitting up there literally has his, has his back to the quarterback in, in interrupting and disrupting and interfering, interfering with any chance Hollister has to make the catch. And inside two minutes, no coaches challenges in a in a in a tight situation like that where seating and and division and stuff like that's on the line week seventeen, then they actually have the power to review it because inside two minutes coaches can't challenge and they and they put a and they put a pass interference rule in because a similar thing happened in the in the in the uh, Rams Saints game in the championship game eleven months earlier. They put the rule in and they don't use it. Which is a which which is a which is a disgrace on the part of the National Football League, but they put that rule in for situations just like this, and they don't and they don't take advantage of it. 
and and it didn't just affect the, and it just and it just didn't affect the uh, the uh, San Francisco and Seattle. It affected the Saints. It affected the Vikings. You know what I mean? You know? Vikings figure out whether they whether they go to whether they go to Seattle or New Orleans. Or the Saints, or the Saints, whether you know they they get the week off and they and they worry about who they play for the divisional round, or having the game plan to get ready for the next week to play the Vikings. And I know it's a little bit far fetched, and I know it's pushing it a little bit, but you can make the argument that once again, the the NFC. The NFC champion, once again, may be faltered or altered, use whatever word you want to use, because of another blown pass interference call by the officials. And the Saints, once again, will get screwed with the, with the pass interference. I mean, it, it, it's, it, it's ridiculous. But the, but the, but in all fairness, the game should never have gotten to that because Seattle should have you know should have gotten ahead from him out of between their legs and been and what and should have been focused and had the wherewithal enough of the situation and instead of taking a, a delay a game penalty which threw off the entire last sequence of the of the ending of their drive down at the goal line threw it off threw it off. Threw it off. And and the Seahawks lost their division and the Saints have to play next Sunday because the way the game ended, Hollister was an inch away from breaking the plane. An inch. Football, I'd say, the game of football, it really is a game of inches. It really is. And a couple of uh, items with the firings. I don't know what Jerry Jones is waiting on. Getting, you know, I don't know what he's trying to build up some suspense or if he is conflict. I don't know what it is, but can can he get rid of Jason Garrett quick, fast, and in a hurry, please? I mean, Jason Garrett, he's, you've seen and it's proven that Jason Garrett's been there too long. He's not the answer for the Dallas Cowboys. They can't go forward with him still being at the helm. He's what's holding the on-field product of the team back. You know, two two or three playoff victories, whatever it is. You know, no conference championship appearance, no Super Bowls. Jerry, can we quit farting around with Jason Garrett and, and wake up and smell the coffee and and let and call it like and call it like we see it and call a spade a spade and tell Jason Garrett to get to get the hell out of Dallas, please. And because what are we waiting on? It is Tuesday, December thirty first. We got a at the time. I'm doing this. We got approximately an hour and 45 minutes left of the 2019 year. Why go into the new decade with in a new season with Jason Garrett as your head coach? What are you waiting for, Jerry? Get rid of him and get rid of him now. Quit farting around. That's item number one. Item number two. 
Redskins disposed uh, Bruce Allen, the GM, as rightfully so. They got rid of him. They brought in. They brought in a, a coach to replace to excuse me to replace Jay Gruden, and that is former Carolina Panthers uh, head coach uh, Ron Rivera. Good hire. Redskins. One word of advice to, and this is to Dan Snyder. Shut up. Stay the heck out of the way. Stay out of the way. And let Ron Rivera do his job. Because you actually might found someone who's uh, you know who's not not a half bad uh, head coach who's who's pretty decent got got to a Super Bowl which is more than what Jay Gruden can attest can attest to and can attest for. That's item number two. Item number three. Okay, item number three. Uh. <sighs> I told you earlier in the program that Kitchens and uh, Dorsey were gone. Kitchens had no business being head coach of the Browns to begin with, and Dorsey, who I don't really, you know, he he did he he. It's not like that Dorsey built a a, a terrible roster. He he bit, he built a, a nine and seven, ten and six, contending playoff contending roster. The blame is on the head coach. Blames on head coach. So it'll be interesting to see who Cleveland brings in to replace both Kitchens and uh, Dorsey. But we shall see. Come back. My brother will join me. And we will both give you our top 10 favorite moments of the 2010s decade. Back right after this. Back time until I can take it like a TIS podcast. Excuse me. Joining me now for a nice little segment to close out the decade because it's the end of the decade or the end of the year after all. My little brother Ian Shields back joining us. Ian, how you doing? I'm good. I'm alright. I'm alright. Good. So we got a segment here. Uh, you know, some that we'll do at the end of each and every uh, uh, decade and year, whatever, you know. This is something a little different. Uh, we both created a list of our top 10 favorite moments of the 2010s. So, Ian, I'll let you start off. And oh, here nice. we go. All right. 
So, my first one was Super Bowl 48. Second one was 2014 championship. Well, you got to explain. Oh, okay. Explain, explain. 2048, you know, man, Russell Wilson, I mean, he should be MVP, but, you know, declined afterwards. He's my MVP in my book. Super Bowl 48, that was just a great play game by the whole entire LOB defense. I mean, everybody was in the prime. Marshawn was tearing it up. Russell Wilson threw two good touchdowns and Doug Baldwin and Jermaine Kurtz. I just think that was the best game he ever played. In my opinion, well, second best because he's going the first, first going on my list. But uh, the second one is 2014 championship game against the Seahawks and Packers. So, is this number nine on your list? Oh, shoot, I did from one, two, three, four, five, six. No, you gotta go backwards. Oh, okay, backwards. So, you spoiled it. So, what's number 10? Number 10 is the main child to your home run game. I mean, yeah, we were us as an organization, we were bad, but main child, he was still there. He had two straight home runs when we need him clutch. Bottom ten, hit that grand slam home run. That was that was a good moment. Uh, number eight, John nineteen, week nine, week ten rather. Seahawks first 49ers game. That was a sloppy game. Came up with the dub though, but I mean it was it was well played game. I mean it was it was alright. It was an alright game. Um. LeBron's first championship, I feel like, with Miami, I feel like that was, that was a good game. Because, you know, LeBron, uh, he kind of deserved emo a little bit. So, like, I mean, it's always nice to see uh, somebody's first, you know. Um, 2-0-47, I mean, just because I'm a Seahawks fan, but in Baltimore, you know, that was that was a huge thing. Had that big parade, and nobody was in school. Um, I mean, it's just seeing Ray's like that, the type of play player that Ray Lewis was uh, in the NFL. I, I just, I just think, you know, he went out with a bang just like Peyton Manning, but you know, Ray Lewis is stronger because you know he was just that type of person. Uh, game six and seven of Cavs Warriors. Seven. Two thousand sixteen. Yeah, that those two best games because again, six the kind of recovery. Cause they was they was about to lose it too straight, but you know LeBron and Kyrie they stepped up. Kyrie had to drop off Steph Curry on to the crib, and mm-hmm. LeBron LeBron got his first time with Cleveland. Um, Dominion's double three three RBI. Uh, I, that was that was probably that was a good moment. I mean. Not only because I'm an Orioles fan, but the fact that we were there and the whole place went wild, and I was a part of that. I, I was a good game, and then we went later on, got uh, blown up by the Royals. And uh, it could have been our first championship, but it wasn't. Uh, the other one is 2013 championship game, Seahawks vs. 49ers. That environment was crazy. Even though I wasn't there, I could feel it at home. Uh, Richard Sherman had that key block. You know how much of a trash talk that he is. He's getting in concap in his head. I mean, it was a back and forth game, but we came out on top, which led to our Super Bowl victory. Um, Beast Quake. Beast Quake, let's go. Beast Quake, the best run I've seen Marshall Lynch had. Through our seven dudes, that was the most straight up G run I've ever saw in my life. Ain't no other run compared to that. I don't, don't give me all this other stuff. That's the best run I ever saw. 
No one can do that. No one can do that. I don't care about speed. The the the, the, the offensive line doing an amazing job. Beast mode lack of ten. No, and get get into that end zone, pushing people off. Hey, nothing else can beat that. Uh, is that it? And I got one more. And this is number one. 2014 championship game, Seahawks vs. Packers. Even though the game after that, you know, one yard in situation, I didn't like that. But that, that was a straight up game. Because it kind of showed that we were, us as a team, we were strong. We was we wasn't gonna let uh, anything come past because you know Russell Wilson had a bad had a bad game. Oh, that he was, that, was, that was the, that was the three worst interceptions game. in the first half. That, that was that was the worst game I've ever saw him play. A three interception. I thought we were down and out, but late fourth quarter. That's when we started to spark. That's when Marshawn Lynch had his run. That's when uh, Russell Wilson started to come back. That's when we had that main curse touchdown to end it all. That's when we had that. Onside kick. It was a, a lot of no, that fake field goal that was um, amazing. Uh, I, I, that's my number one. That's all I want to say. All right, my top ten. Number ten, LeBron's game seven block against Andre Iguodala, bringing the first championship to Cleveland since the mid sixties. First major sports house since 1964 on LeBron driving against Iguodala at the end of that game. And just really, I mean, out of all the all the misery and all the pain that the uh, that the Cleveland sports fans had to go through with the with the drive, the fumble, the shot with Jordan, the catch, the move. It was finally time for Cleveland to have a moment that had the first that had the 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 first uh, word in the name of the play was the dot dot dot. It was Cleveland's time, and boy, uh, one of the best moments of LeBron James' career, in my opinion, was that block in that game seven, and then the Cavaliers holding on to win their first championship in franchise history. That's number ten. Number nine. Super Bowl 49's Patriots. I'm not that's not even an exact moment. It's just the game itself. Two number one seeds. Patriots going back to the Super Bowl for the first time since Super Bowl 46 when they lost to the Giants. Deflate Gate, they had that as a back as a background leading up to the game. Seahawks back-to-back NFC champions. With that tremendous comeback that they had against the Packers two weeks before, that Ian brought up earlier, uh, number one seed, top one of the top defenses in the league, uh, looking to do something that ironically the Pat- their opponent, the Patriots, were the last to do, and that's when back-to-back Super Bowl championships with the Patriots winning in 2003 and in 2004, Seahawks were heading into the game, were looking to become the first team to do that since those Patriots. Uh, it was a back and forth game, really one of the best football games and one of the greatest Super Bowls and one of my favorite Super Bowls, I, my favorite Super Bowl and one of the greatest Super Bowls I've ever seen. I've Greatest Super Bowl of my lifetime, Super Bowl 49. You want to see a fantastic hard fought football game with an unexpected twist as far as entertainment is concerned, if you're looking at it from an entertainment standpoint, it's that game. 
with the Malcolm Butler interception and the aftermath that that uh, succeeded after it. Number eight, the Minneapolis miracle with Stephon Diggs catching a pass from Case Keenum late in the ball game in the divisional playoff game at home against the Saints. Marcus Williams goes early on a hit stick. Stephon Diggs catches it and in the final seconds runs out the clock. Vikings win the game and a miracle finish and go on to the NFC Championship game where they were to get steamrolled by the Philadelphia Eagles in their route to win Super Bowl 52. Uh, number seven. Kawhi Leonard's game-winning bouncing buzzer beater against the 76ers in that game seven on Mother's Day. Kawhi Leonard, I... T- I outside of LeBron in 2016, I've never seen a better postseason, in my opinion, a better playoff performance than Kawhi Leonard with the with the uh, Raptors back this past spring. What a performance! And then to cap it all off with that buzz with that buzzer beater that bounced up and down about three times before finally falling in, and then the entire country of Canada exploded once that ball went in. And it ended up propelling the Raptors to their first ever NBA championship. That was one hell of a moment. And it was on Mother's Day, no less. It was on Mother's Day. Number six. Number six. Game seven, 2016 World Series. That is honestly, if you ask me... The greatest baseball game I've ever seen. And I've been watching baseball since I was about three years old. Best baseball game I've ever seen. Like the like Super Bowl 49, back and forth to the very end. And the moments that captivated it was Rajay Davis's uh, two-run game-tying home run in the bottom of the eighth inning off of Aroldis Chapman, who was gassed and completely overused by then-Cubs manager Joe Madden, tied the game up at in the eighth inning, rain delay, and then the Cubs came out in the top of the tenth. Ben Zobrist and, every, and company just came out guns blazing, and the Cubs, it, had, it took them the extra frame. And, and oh, by the way, they won the game with the winning, war, with the winning run at the plate and the tying run on first base. And they ended up breaking that long 108-year curse. It took them 10 innings, though. But, boy, that was one of the greatest baseball games I've ever seen. Game 7 of the 2016 World Series. Number, what is it, 5? Number 5. Orioles winning the AL East for the first time in my lifetime. Listen, I get, I'm, I'm on this team like white on rice. I'm on them every day. But... Still, they gave me a moment in this decade that I will never forget, and that's winning the division for the first time in my lifetime. All those years I've seen the Yankees and the Red Sox. Finally, in the year 2014, it was my turn. It was our turn as Orioles fans to see us thrive above the the big cash cows in the division and we end up winning nine I think it was 96 games second best record in the American League and we ended up winning the division by about a dozen games I believe swept the Tigers in the ALDS and then lost to the Royals in the ALCS later that year but one of the most unforgettable moments of the decade was winning the division for the first time and yours truly's last time 
Lifetime, excuse me. Number four, Ray Lewis's last ride in the Ravens 2012 championship season. Really, I've never, I mean, Ray Lewis, he's been a staple, one of the greatest Baltimore, one of the greatest athletes in Baltimore sports history. He's up there with Unitas and Cal Ripken and Eddie Murray. I mean, he's he's up there. He's up there. But, I mean, for him to, I mean, for him to retire, it's like, wow, because he's been a staple for Baltimore sports and been a staple with the Ravens for such a long time. And then for him to come out and announce that he's retiring, it was a complete shock. But then for the playoff run that they went on, for Handley beating the Colts, which wasn't necessarily memorable, but it was Ray Lewis's last home playoff game and last home game as a Raven when he did the dance twice at the beginning and at the end of the game. He was on he was on the field for the QB nail down with Flacco and everybody. But it was but then the last two games with the miracle against Denver with Jacoby Jones and that game going to triple overtime and frigid temperatures. With the no weapon formed against you, saw Prosper game that, and then the championship game, avenging losing to the Patriots in such heartbreaking fashion just a year prior to that, and then turning and then turning around a year later, going back in that exact same building, facing the exact same team with the exact same stakes on the stakes on the line a year later, and then turning around and 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 I think they out I think they outscored the Patriots. I had to outscore him by the number off the top of my head. You know, it's, it's not on me, on me right now. But all I know is that they allowed the Patriots to score 13 points in the first half. And after that, the Patriots couldn't get nothing. And this is with Brady and Belichick now. With, with Gronk, the tight end, and Edelman. Couldn't get anything done for the second half of that AFC championship game. And the Ravens went on to win that game. Was going to blow the 49ers out the water because Bolden and Jacoby Jones both and Dennis Pitta both had offensive touchdowns, receiving touchdowns in the first half of that game. Flack was on fire. You know, half time comes. Jacoby Jones takes it back. At this point, I think it's like, if I recall, it's 28 3 Ravens. And then after an Arthur Jones sack on Kaepernick, the lights go out and the momentum completely shifts the 49ers' way into one of the most epic finishes in Super Bowl history. And and I'll never, and as long as I live, I'll never forget that sight of the camera on Ray Lewis and, it, and, again, and the audio picked up Ray Lewis literally, not, not you know, screaming like a bad thing, but ah, him, him screaming. With literally the, it was, oh, I will never forget it. With the confetti, all you Ravens fans, you know what I'm talking about. The shot of Ray Lewis's arms outstretched in the air, his eyes, you know, eyes closed, you know, ah, with the confetti, with the confetti, with the confetti falling down and everything. I, is a moment I will never forget as long as I live. And the parade and everything else. I'm not a Ravens fan, but you ha- but if you were a Baltimorean and a, and a sports fan, you had to appreciate Ray Lewis's last ride in 2000 for the 2012 Ravens in January, February 2013. Number three, the kick six, Iron Bowl between Auburn and Alabama. Alabama needed to win that game, and if they wanted any shot of participating in a national championship, Auburn had a miracle season just a week before the what the prayer at Jordan Hare after when they when Ricardo Lewis. Uh, you know, caught a, 
you know, it was like a Hail Mary. The ball went up, and the ball was thrown down the middle of the field, deflected off of two Georgia defenders, and Ricardo Lewis is literally sitting there with his hands like an open breadbasket, catches the ball, and essentially walks into the end zone, and the Tigers win that miracle game. They turn around the next week later in the Iron Bowl, the the Alabama kickers the Alabama kicker was a complete mess the entire game. They bring in this freshman Andy I think his name was Andy Griffith if I remember correctly. It was like a fifty it was like a sixty something yard field goal. The you know the ball ends up the ball ends up short. Chris Davis turns returns it from nine deep and goes all the way the distance for the game winning touchdown not only clinching the SEC West for Auburn, sending them to the SEC championship, but also propelled them to go to the national championship as well. One, of, honestly, one of the biggest defeats in Nick Saban and Nick Saban's illustrious career at Alabama was uh, captivated by that uh, by that kick six in 2013 by uh, Chris Davis. Uh, Number two, Delman Young's double in 2014 ALDS against the Tigers uh, off of Joaquin Soria in game in game two. Uh, that also, along with the Ray Lewis, that is that is a image that I will never, ever, ever will forget in the back of my mind. Seeing Delman Young hit that bases clearing go ahead double in the bottom of the eighth inning, putting the Orioles up on top. And, and propelling them to take a two games to none lead in the series against the Tigers, when the when the late innings for the Orioles in that series were especially in the first two games were their money innings. They broke the game wide open, if you recall, in the late innings in Game One, and then they were and then it was close down the stretch. They were down by a run. And then all of a sudden, you know, Nick Mark, and all of a sudden they get a couple of base hits. You know, I believe Nick Markick is at a home run early in that inning, if I remember correctly. Adam Jones, you know, Adam Jones gets hit by a pitch, and you know, and a, and a walk. You know, it's funny how baseball happens. You know, a couple of base runners hits batsman, a bloop single, infield single, or walk, what have you. Next thing you know, bases loaded for Delman Young, who pinch hit for catcher Caleb. I believe it was. Caleb Joseph, who he pinch hit for in that game, came up first pitch swinging, line drive down the uh, left field corner. Nelson Cruz scored. J.J. Hardy, or excuse me, Nelson Cruz scored. Or I know that I know the three players. I'm trying to get the order right. Pierce scored first. Cruz came in, who led the league in home runs that year, came in second to score, and then J.J. Hardy by the hair of his skinny chin chin. Uh, came in uh, last to give the Orioles the lead in the eighth inning. And I'm trying to tell you, I've been to about a dozen Orioles games in my lifetime, but I have never, ever in my wildest dream, in my wildest dreams, or in my life, I have never, ever heard Oriole Park any more louder than after Delman Young hit that double. And that that was one that was one of the all time greatest moments in Oriole history, not just of the decade or of the season, but in Orioles history. Because from a franchise had to go through, I think it was 17 straight years of losing seasons, winning a division, you know, winning 96 games, and then having a hit like that all against the against the Detroit Tigers, who earlier who who, you know, they're two who were two years removed from participating 
uh, in the World Series being the American League champion. And then for them to just perform the way they did that season is something I'll never forget as long as I live. And all credit goes to Buck Showalter, who's the winning Orioles, who's the winning Orioles man, Orioles manager in my lifetime, and this certainly gave me and lots of other Orioles fans of the of the younger generation a taste of what postseason baseball feels like at Oriole Park at Camden Yards. Number one, my my top favorite sports moment of the decade came from this past April when Tiger Woods won the 2019 Masters. Given all he went through with the car accident, cheating on his wife, multiple injuries, back and neck surgeries, and you and you'd think everyone was talking about, you know, is Tiger's finished, Tiger's this, Tiger's that, he's done, he'll never win another major again, never play golf at the same level again, yada, yada. And so, I don't know what it was, but there was something within me that always continued to hold out hope that one of these days Tiger Woods is going to get it together, he's going to get back on track. And not, and I, and I, I even I told my grandmother this, not only will Tiger Woods' this next, not only will he, not just will he not only win another major, but the next major he'll win will be the Masters. And lo and behold, this April, my man Tiger Woods got it done. And that is my favorite sports moment of the 2010s decade. Take a break, come back, and I will give you my recap of the two cuts football playoff games. I'll do so. Back after this. Welcome back to Metallica TIS Podcast. Switching gears now to some college football action and the two uh, college football playoff games that was played uh, <clears throat> this past weekend. Uh, between Let's do the first one first, Oklahoma, LSU. Then we'll go ahead and do the Fiesta Bowl between Clemson and Ohio State. Uh, LSU just owned the game on all sets of circumstances. 31 first downs. They had two hundred. They had six hundred ninety-two total yards of offense. Had one hundred sixty yards on the ground, five hundred thirty-two passing yards, and controlled the football for thirty-two minutes and fifty-eight seconds. Joe Burrow, former Bengals quarterback, God bless him. 
And I hope and I hope and I hope and pray that the Bengals somehow, some way, by the miracle of God, don't manage to bungle it up and screw it up. We draft Burrow and Burrow brings the same energy and the same great level of play at LSU. He brings it to Cincinnati because good Lord, we need it. And it's so encouraging as a Bengals fan with the number one pick that saw Joe Burrow go 29 of 39, throw for 493 passing yards and seven touchdown passes. And oh, by the way, he ran for one as well. Threw seven touchdown passes in the first half. The first half, not the entire game, first half. Seven touchdown passes in the first half, tying the NCAA record for touchdown passes in a half and touchdown passes in a bowl game. And he ran for one, so he was responsible for eight touchdowns that went on the board for LSU. Eight of them. And Justin Jefferson, what a game he had. 14 receptions, 227 receiving yards, and four touchdowns. On Oklahoma side, Jalen Hurts, oh boy. Uh, 15-31, 217 passing yards and an interception. And their leading receiver, C.D. Lamb, four receptions, 119 uh, receiving yards. I mean, that, I mean, boy, oh boy, oh boy. Did, uh, with 63-28 to 28 was the final score. LSU had 28 points in the second quarter, 21 points in the first quarter. I mean, goodness gracious, a lie. They just went, I don't know what it was. I don't know whether it's the fact that their assistant coach who lost his daughter-in-law with the plane crash. I don't know if that had an effect. Now, they weren't told before the game, so that probably, so my little theory doesn't exactly work cause they, because they were not told before the game purposely that that plane crash had happened and that their assistant coach had lost his daughter-in-law. But, but it's, but I mean, goodness gracious, 63 to 20. Oklahoma barely even had a chance. I mean, goodness gracious me. Burrow just came out guns blazing. Guns blazing. One of the greatest performances in the 150 year history of college football. I mean, and and if I'm Clemson, I do not want to be facing LSU. <laughs> and, and, and I know it's been there, done that, bought the t shirt, but this LSU team is a bad football team. They are bad, and who and who wants to who and, and can you imagine what? I mean, it's almost a good thing that that there's so much time in between the uh, the national championship game and the, and the, and the semifinal game because they're going because they're going to need about two and a half weeks time for for the Clemson defense to, <laughs> to prepare and dissect this film from Burrow and LSU. I mean, just the just the first half alone, I can imagine is going to take about two and a half, three hours worth the worth uh worth to uh, dissect. I mean, goodness gracious! But the second game, uh, the uh, fiesta, the Fiesta Bowl between uh between Ohio State and uh, and uh, Clemson, it was uh it was surely more competitive. Then uh, it was more competitive than the you know than the uh, Peach Bowl, but uh, I mean here let me just read you off the stats. Uh, uh, let's start with Lawrence first. He's the winning quarterback. Uh, eighteen for thirty three, two hundred fifty nine passing yards, two touchdown passes. Rushing also, he had 16 carries for 107 yards and a touchdown. And receiving the receiver, Travis Eatine, had three receptions, 98 yards, and two touchdown receptions. While Justin Fields, their quarterback, was 30 for 46, 
320 passing yards, uh, touchdown pass, two interceptions. J.K. Dobbins on the ground, 18 carries, 174 yards in the touchdown in the game. Uh, it was certainly a more competitive game uh, from entertainment standpoint. But Trevor Lawrence, boy, he's yeah, I tell you, he's a special talent. Whether he'll be a good pro, that's a conversation for another day. But he, I tell you one thing, he played he played well enough for Clemson to uh, to win the game. I'll tell you that much. And Clemson is going to have their hands full with preparing for LSU for the championship game. You know, and it ain't and it ain't any easier because the game is played in the Superdome in Louisiana. That place will be purple. And yellow to the brim. To the brim. And Ohio State still can't beat Clemson in a bowl game when it counts. Keep that in mind as well. But but think about this for a minute. The national championship game is going to be played January the 13th. Not the 6th. Not the 6th. The 13th. So think about this for a minute. As we, as I, you know, relate to the NFL. So they are honestly, so that so that so that championship game is literally going to be hours after divisional Sunday in the NFL playoffs, where you could have which which you could most likely will have New England and Kansas City, and have and have. Green Bay and New Orleans on Divisional Sunday on January the twelfth. You'll have Brent. You'll have the re, most likely. You'll have the I mean, Tennessee. You, you never know because the Patriots have. I mean, if they can, if the Patriots can lose to Miami. They can lose anybody. So they're not necessarily out the woods with Tennessee. But I'm. But I'm thinking ahead of time. But even. But still. You're looking at the rematch of last year's AFC Championship game and these two teams playing for the second time this season between Kansas City and New England with the with the young electric quarterback Patrick Mahomes and the greatest of all time and and Brady and Belichick and the and the coach that's still looking to get over the hump that's been around the block for a while and Andy Reid. You got that going up against Breeze who also got snubbed off the top 100 quarterback list, by the way. I'll mention that at the last segment. But going up against Breeze and Rodgers in a divisional game in a divisional game at 6:40 on that Sunday, January the 12th, and we're going to turn around, you know, wake up the next morning and start and bouncing around the uh, the coffee, you know, the break room, the coffee room, the vending machine room. And we're going to be bouncing around and getting all hyped up for LSU, Clemson after we after the two games that we most which we might or most likely might have today the day uh, the day before are going to be classic, riveting, entertaining, well worth watching football games between Brady and Mahomes and Rodgers and Breeze, and we're gonna and we're gonna essentially have toothpicks. Holding up our eyelid, you know, keeping our eyelids open, you know, going on a quarter to midnight because those college foot because the national championship games take forever, forever to finish. And God forbid, you know, two teams like Clemson and LSU, which are top in the nation in scoring, 
I get, you know, so that doesn't make it much better either. You know, it'll, the 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 score will be will be uh forty will be forty eight forty five midway through the fourth quarter, and we're sitting up there with uh unless we're excited on on and on the edge of our seat, we'll be having toothpicks keeping our eyelids open at a quarter to midnight after we watch you know two riveting uh NFL playoff games between the greatest quarterback of all time. Uh, the old wonder that's right behind him, and Rodgers, who many say is the Michael Jordan of of the NFL as far as electrifying talent is concerned, and then you also have Patrick Mahomes, who was the cream of the crop as far as quarterbacks was concerned in last year's NFL season. And we're going to turn around the next day and break down Trevor Lawrence against the LSU defense and see how Joe Burrow is going to do uh, and see how Dabo Sweeney's game plan is going to uh, stop Joe Burrow. So, I mean, mean, college football has to, excuse me, the NCAA has to do a better job of, uh, of not, you know, being right on top of the NFL. I understand that they, I mean, they have, I mean, I understand that they kind of, uh, that they have, that they have a little bit of an issue because the first two weeks of the NFL playoffs, they have games on Saturday, so they can't put the national championship game on there. But you can't sit up here and tell me that a two that a two and a half week layoff after pro, after most likely the greatest out of the three wild card uh excuse me out of the three playoff weekends the second one with the divisional especially that Sunday would be the best one and we're gonna and we're gonna you know get our jollies off breaking down uh LSU Clemson after we most likely will see uh Seahawks and 49ers part three. Uh, Brady and Brady and Mahomes for the second time this season rematch from last year's AFC Championship game and oh by the way, uh, Breeze and Rodgers at Lambeau. So depending on what happens, they might out of the four playoff games we'll have divisional weekend. Will three of three out of the four of them will be will be riveting. Most like most likely the big snooze fest will be you know Ravens playing against the Texans or the Bills, which they should. Take care, which they should take care of business of, but we're looking at a situation where three out of the four games on divisional weekend, one of them on on uh, Saturday and two of them on Sunday, could be could be big time games, and no one in unless you, unless you are you know I mean th- and think about it for Louisiana standpoint, you know the, the the Saints the Saints you know New think about it with New Orleans. You know their football team, the Saints, is going to be playing a you know going to be what win or lose, they're going to be playing a playoff game most likely against against uh, Green Bay against the Green Bay Packers in Lambeau the previous day before. Unless you are a unless you are anti NFL or or a bigger LSU diehard than you are New Orleans Saints diehard, which in the city of New Orleans is a, is is a little debatable because LSU is Baton Rouge and the Saints are in New Orleans. But you are going to have to really have a really tough time. Now they'll sell the place out because the game's in is in the state of Louisiana and LSU's in the game. But still, I mean, think about it. From and God forbid, if the game's is if the game's tight down the stretch, the Saints have a miracle last second victory or a heartbreaking loss down the stretch, or God forbid, Lord, I pray this doesn't happen. They get hosed by the refs again. No one will be. No one will in the New Orleans area, especially, <laughs> will be talking LSU Clemson. They'll be breaking down. Uh, 
they'll they'll be breaking down you know Saints and Packers for the Saints and Packers for the whole for the whole day. I mean, it, 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 was, it was a terrible job by the NCAA putting the championship game on at the date they put it on, when the Saints gonna be playing most likely playing in a playoff game, and most likely an epic playoff football game in Lambeau where Lombardi coach and star played the you know less than uh, 24 hours prior. And we're going to, you know, go from that to the Superdome for LSU-Clemson. While, depending on how the game goes, all the new ones we'll be able to talk about is the, uh, is, the Saints playoff, is the Saints playoff game against the Packers. And, you know, and, all, and, all, and God forbid, from a national standpoint, if, if we get Patriots and Chiefs again, or if, or if the third time around between the Seahawks and the 49ers you know, measures up to the first two times those teams played in the regular season on primetime television. But it, it's a it's a really bad job in the NCAA's part for put for putting those games up against arguably what might be the best weekend of playoff football in the month of January. And they put and they put the national championship game up against uh up against division around NFL football. I mean, yeah, I mean, you got to do something. I mean, put put the national championship game after Wild Card Weekend because Wild Card Weekend isn't most, you know, in typically it really isn't because it's inferior competition because the top two seeds in uh, both in both conferences have the bye weeks. So it, so from a tenic, from a technical standpoint, the competition and the level of of play is inferior. Because because the lower seeded team is playing on Wild Card Weekend, but they could at least put it on Wild Card Weekend, you know they 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 could they could have put it on Wild Card Weekend, but that but thank you also but then, but then which which but then what happens is you know, you know what if uh, the, you know the Saints have a home game so what are you gonna do you gonna have the game the, the day before, so, I mean the. I mean, they were kind of in charge. I mean, just imagine if the Seahawks would have scored the touchdown, and you imagine a conflict with uh, with the Saints having a home having a home playoff game on Sunday, and then having to do the changeover for the for the national championship game the next night. I mean, it it it's 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 crazy. But then again, that's the NCAA's problem, not necessarily mine. Uh, take a break, and I'll discuss this quarterback list for the NFL 100 right after the break. Welcome back to Matelakatea's podcast. Last segment of the show, last segment of the year, last segment of the decade. So, the NFL released their their top ten quarterbacks of uh, of the hundred year history of the sport, and I take issue with uh, with. Uh, with one QB that they put on that list that really, in my opinion, 
has not has no business being on the list. Uh, Brett Favre. First of all, let me hold on. Let me let some into. Let me just take a step back. Let me read you the quarterbacks that are on this list. Okay. All right. Sammy Ball, Otto Graham. I agree with both pioneers and revolutionaries as far as quarterback play is concerned. First, there would be no Tom Brady if it wasn't for Ball or Otto Graham. So I have no problem with that. Brady, greatest of all time. Anyone who disputes Brady being on this list is 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 a troll, to be quite honest with you. Uh, Unitas was the greatest player up on prior to Brady, he you can make the argument he was the greatest quarterback to ever play the game with the Baltimore Colts. Montana was Brady's idol and and won four Super Bowls and never lost one. I mean Montana's Montana. Peyton Manning didn't have this great as a postseason record as he did in the regular season, but he played in many a playoff games, has has many, if not has already have them broken by Drew Brees and Brady, but many of NFL records, and he's and he won two Super Bowls. Two, two when you win two Super Bowls and you have many of passing records, and you know and you play in playoff games against Brady and people all also often mention you in the same conversation as Brady as far as the greatest of of the generation that you guys played in. You're going to be on the list. I have no problem with Manning. El Elway is Elway. Have no problem with him. Marino, even though he never won a championship, one of the great prolific passers in the history of the game. Have no problem with him. Uh, Starbuck, yeah, I I don't see the Starbuck r- right here, but I mean, well, well, here's the two. I, okay, so let me give you the two I have a problem with. Starbuck, and and um, fourth. Starbuck and Favre over Breeze and Star. How in the world the NF the the committee that that produced this list put Brett? F- Let me go with Favre first because he, he he's more egregious. How in the world they put Brett Favre on this list? I will never, ever, ever comprehend. Brett Favre in his career, okay, career, through for 508 touchdowns, 336 interceptions. In the 100-year history of the NFL, no quarterback has thrown more interceptions than Brett Favre. That, and that is fact. Don't don't let anybody tell you different. Don't let any, don't let anybody sit here and dispute anything. That that is fact. No quarterback in a hundred season, ninety nine hundred year history of the National Football League has thrown for more interceptions than Brett Favre. And that is fact. 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 He threw for seven hundred seven. 71,838 passing yards. I mean, how? And he he won one Super Bowl. Keep that in mind, too. He won one Super Bowl. 
one Super Bowl and had a completion percentage of six of sixty two percent. How is he on this list? Now I get it. Eleven time Pro Bowler, three time All Pro, three time MVP. But don't sit up here and make the argument that he was the best player in the nineties when he played in the same era as Marino, Elway, and oh by the way, Troy Aikman, who if you haven't who if you haven't who if you have not heard of him, won three Super Bowls. People, I mean, people simply hit me up on, on you know, Twitter and text messages and anything. Well, well, you know, he's the greatest quarterback. He's the greatest quarterback that played in the nineties. What are you nuts? Troy Aikman. Now he doesn't have MVP, and he's only been to six Pro Bowls. But Aikman is a three-time Super Bowl champion. He's a three-time Super Bowl champion. Favre, you gotta admit it, but Favre is a bit of a compiler. The years when he retired twice and changed his mind, he came back. I mean, he he keep in mind, folks, he retired in two thousand and ten. He got drafted in nineteen ninety two. Brett Favre is a bit of a compiler. If we're, if we're being fair and honest about it. If we're being fair. Aikman has three championships. Favre's only played and been and won one. But the fact that Drew Brees. Okay. Drew Brees. Who. Leads. The NFL and passing yards, touchdown passes, and I believe I'm getting this last one right, completion percentage, in the 100-year history of the sport, Drew Brees, okay, Drew Brees leads the NFL in all three categories and he's not on that list. And Brett Favre is. Drew Brees' completion percentage is 67.6. Brett Favre's is 62. Drew Brees has passed for 77,416 passing yards in his career. Brett Favre, 71,838. Touchdown passes for Drew Brees, 547. Brett Favre, 508. Drew Brees, interceptions, 237. Brett Favre, 336. And oh, by the way, he's a 13-time Pro Bowler. Brett Favre, for all the years he played, played in 11. Super Bowl champion. Won playoff offensive player of the year twice. And oh, by the way, comeback player of the year. And, and Super Bowl champion. And outplayed Favre 10 years ago in the NFC Championship game. Yet Brett Favre is on that list and Drew Brees isn't. How is that possible? How is that possible?
How? Please, please explain to me. How is Brett Favre on that list when Brett Favre leads the league all time? And interceptions, and Drew Brees, who's not even in the same neighborhood with interceptions, does not. That's a joke. That's a joke. That's a joke. Drew Brees is not on that list, and Brett Favre is. That is an insult. Is an insult. Especially considering when those two went head-to-head -head in a championship game 10 years ago, Breeze won the game and Favre did not. And the, and the thing that makes it worse, they have Favre on the list, but Bart Starr, who came before Favre, ain't on it. Now, compete percentage-wise, Starr is worse than Favre. He didn't throw for as many passing. But you have to keep in mind that it was a different era in, the, in which Starr played. But Starr won seven championships, five, five NFL pre-merger, and in the first two Super Bowls. He's not on the list yet. Brett Favre is. Favre's on the list, and Drew, and Drew Brees is not, which is, even, which is an even bigger disgrace. That Favre is on that list, and Drew Brees is not. When Drew Brees... Drew Brees... All time... More touchdown passes, passing yards, and let me see if I can get this. Let me see if I can pull pull up the uh, this uh, exact stat because uh, because it's important. Let's see if I can pull it up this uh, right quick. Uh, but it it is a joke. That Drew Brees is not that Drew Brees. Drew Brees now is not one of the is not part of the list of the ten greatest NFL quarterbacks in a hundred season history of the sport. That is an insult. That 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 that. That that's tough to take. I'm sorry, but that is tough to take. With all due respect, that that that's 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 ridiculous. Drew Brees is fifteenth all time in interceptions. Brett Favre is number one. Number one. Not, not, not two, not three, not four. Number one. Drew Brees 
Drew Brees leads the league one more time. All time in career. Touchdown passes, passing yards, completion percentage, while Brett Favre leads the league in interceptions. Yeah, Brett Favre is on that list, and Drew Brees is not. That's a joke. That's a joke. I want to thank you for listening to another episode of the Like TIS podcast. If you like what you heard, new to the program, please subscribe, share with your friends and family. And co-workers and cohorts who have the case might be, follow me on Twitter at the J Shield. Follow the show at, at Amatel underscore it T-I is. Have a blessed and safe new year, everybody. Thanks for listening. Talk to you and see you in 2020 new decade. Take care. <laughs>